Hello and welcome. I'm Hannah Palamara and this is My Vulnerable Voice, a podcast and visual project sharing stories of rawness, courage and love. We each go on a journey through life and we learn through our experiences, good and bad. And what I've learned is that by sharing these stories, we can not only bring healing to ourselves, but to other people. Thank you so much for being here. Today, I'm so excited to be speaking to Kemi Johnson. Kemi is one of my closest friends and we've been meaning to get on a podcast chat together forever. Kemi is an amazing birth keeper, birthing people's advocate and just incredible human being. We delve into so many subjects today around birth. We chat about her journeys of working as an NHS midwife and then as an independent midwife. The struggles that independent midwives are facing today human rights in childbirth, and racial disparities for birthing people. We delve into a lot, we go deep, and it's an incredible pod to listen to. So grab yourself a drink and maybe a notepad and sit down and enjoy. Hello and welcome to My Vulnerable Voice, my darling Kemi. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Hannah. Thank you. Um, Firstly, would you please introduce yourself to our listeners? So my name is Kemi Johnson and I'm a birth keeper, um, birth keeper midwife, formerly a midwife, retired from the Nursing and Midwifery Council Register, but um, always showing up on behalf of families. So whether it's a power hour over the telephone or um, being in the birth room or um, holding a placard or um, writing um, tweets to inspire and shake up loads of different ways people mm. Can mm. and just to give a bit of backstory um Kemi was my incredible midwife one of my midwives for the birth of my last baby um and that's how we met and I had um, a home birth after two cesareans and um, it was a life-changing experience and Kemi and Laura my other midwife were amazing people and we've just you know bonded and you've become one of my closest friends over the last seven years and so much love and respect and I also you know delved straight into birth work as a doula and a birth photographer straight after Frankie's birth and so you've kind of you've seen you've seen me on that journey so I feel a huge amount of love and respect for you just such a special person in my life um special I find I've just got to say that um she was one day postnatal and she goes do you know I'm a photographer you did you, you had the baby you had Frankie on the boob and then you got your camera which was in your bedroom and you started to <laughs> show me things and then you got your laptop and started to show me oh, things. oh wow um, and so when you said you were going to be documenting births, that was your heart to document women's mm. journeys and births. Said yeah, that. so true. It was born from that experience. Yeah, absolutely. And so could you share a little bit about your, you know, your journey into midwifery? You've been on a pretty epic journey and I know there's recent, a lot of recent stuff to talk about as well. Yeah, it what is was, it is epic because um, I hadn't, I was 15 and I was in an amazing school that my parents worked very hard um, to keep me in. Um, I went into it, I did the 11 plus and went to a very good school. 
in South London. And um, my dad had aspirations of me being a doctor. Mm. Um, and um, I was doing, you know, at the time they were called O-levels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was doing O-levels a year early and it was all oh, wow. very good. And, um, and he said, and then I heard the word midwife and found out what it was. So it just came up literally from the inside of me and I found out what it was and I went, that, that's what I want to be. And so I told my dad and um, he said, wow. oh, you mean doctor? And I said, <laughs> no, no, I definitely want to be a midwife. And he said, okay, you mean obstetrician? I said, oh, no, that's very different. He said, no, it has to be a midwife. And then um, he put down that dream quite a lot. My dad's my dad's a joker anyway, you know. Gosh, like he's my first love, and um, so I was I could cope with him putting it all down and saying it wasn't necessary. And women, yeah. just, you know, in the fields and they're going to a corner and have a baby and they go back to work. It's no biggie, and just put mm-hmm. down the whole world of women, childbirth, midwife, midwifery, everything. So um, I was quite upset and said, "Well, I'm definitely not going to be an obstetrician now." Um, after that, so what I'll what I'll do instead is accountancy. And so I I left school <laughs> after that wow. and um, just um, did other things, such as that'll be for another podcast. And then mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> was doing that, um, and then started to sneak off to birds um, <laughs> so, so, as a doula. So I'd be yeah. at, I'd be at work during the day and do things with the children. And I was usually out at night as a doula mm-hmm. and um, then discovered that some births, you know, I, I, decided, I started to see that if I was at a birth of an independent midwife, there was a lot of respect and slowness and waiting and um, closeness. Mm-hmm. If I was at a birth being supported by the NHS midwives, um, there was a lot of doing and you sit down and be quiet and don't say anything and um, women not being listened to, etc. So I decided mm-hmm. um, then that I had to be, I had to be a midwife so that I can facilitate more of the kind of um, chilled, mm-hmm. respectful vibe. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I applied, um, I applied to Kings, got in there, had a panic attack, deferred, <laughs> and then um, I then I, I I think can't remember what happened. I decided not to go back to Kings. I then applied to St George's, okay. and Kingston St George's got in, okay. and um, was really happy and and you know just progressing through the lessons and started to see a disparity between what I was learning at, in uni. Mm-hmm. And the amazing um, t- lecturers and their hearts. Like, um, she's now, I think, the director of the course at St. George's. And um, she, uh, one of the lecturers who really inspired me, and she said, You've got to always find out why you're doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And it just really resonated in me. You know, just why, always ask yourself why. Yeah. And, um, and then I'm asking myself why I then started to kind of come up against the, the habits that I was seeing on wards in practice. 
So we'd spend a few weeks in uni and that would, and it would all resonate. And then I'd go into practice, it'd be really jarring. And um, particularly in my second year, I walked off practice and said, I'm not going back. Wow. And, um, and um, the director of the course at the time, um, she was so kind and I threw my lanyard at her. <laughs> <laughs> She just took it and put it in the drawer and said, when you're ready to come back, come back. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, there's more detail around that, but mm-hmm. she just took it, my lanyard right, right out of her drawer when I came back and just put it across the table and didn't ask any questions or anything. And then I went back and finished the course because I knew that I needed to get on the register to make a big difference. Mm-hmm. So got myself through. Yeah. With the help of the amazing lecturers and people that I met in practice, got myself mm. through. Then I had a dark night of the soul. It's all very dramatic, but <laughs> I realise now why. So I had a dark yeah. night of the soul because um, I realised that I'd been cutting clamping cords with, unconsciously. Mm-hmm. So every baby that was being born in my presence, particularly in the third year, when basically, you know, we, we were being mentored, but from a distance, I was cutting and clamping cords unconsciously, just doing it. Yeah. And then the penny dropped that I was depriving babies of a third of their blood volume and that every baby had come into contact had done that. And was this before, this was before it was becoming common practice, wasn't it? That's right, Mm -hmm. that's right. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because Amanda Burley hadn't quite got through with her decades of persuasion for us Mm -hmm. to stop harming children in this way. Yeah. Um, So it hadn't been put in the nice guidances yet about the compromise that's in nice guidance, which is delayed cord camping. That is a compromise. Um, You know, Amanda always talked about optimal cord care. And, and oh gosh, it was, oh, I, I was in my dressing gown for six months. I couldn't move. I couldn't move. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it physically um, affected me. So then yeah. it just began that journey of finding out what else I was doing as insults to children and their parents. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it really improved my practice. <laughs> just that, that reflection. And yeah. Um, yeah, just needed to be done. So um, I've forgotten your question now, but basically, no, yeah, wonderful. You know, it, I had to do better. So I'm not. Mm. When people find some of my posts confronting, but I'm not speaking from the point of being. Oh, I'm so great. You're so rubbish. It's literally we've got to stop harming families. Yeah, and I think this is this has been a long journey for you. And um, and correct me if I'm wrong. You know you've. You, you found the training hard, didn't you? And yeah. then coming into practice, how long were you in, in hospitals for? Not very long at all. Mm. It was just a matter of months. And then I went, I went and applied for a role at King's College Hospital mm. and, you know, was technically there for a few months again, about six months. But I never got a chance to practice. There was something holding me back. And mm-hmm. then in tears, I realised it's because I needed to be an independent. That's mm-hmm. why. Mm-hmm. So. And what was your experience coming into independent midwifery um, at I that was time? Held, I was held by them. It, I was understood. It was quiet. I was apprenticed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was joyful. 
mm. really joyful support mm. different different women were respected um i'd come out of an environment where women's sanitary towels were handled as if they were the most disgusting thing i was you know where women were told off um told you know like they but they would be having their babies trying to learn to breastfeed bleeding you know um probably sleep deprived and their curtains would be briskly pulled apart you know so mm. you know the curtains in the postnatal ward they'd be briskly just brushed aside mm-hmm. um yeah it was coming from that into the respect and the sitting and the quiet and the laughing the cuddling the tea drinking the knitting mm-hmm. you know <laughs> yeah yeah you know, all of that to become a part of all of that and realize that that was giving amazing care and mm. and then starting to see how births unfolded so in in the different in you know in the environment that I was in that I that I initially practiced in you know in the room that I was in it would be quiet and peaceful I'd spend a lot of time in there it'd be kind there'd be giggles mm. there'd be love there'd be kissing um but then I'd hear in the room next door someone screaming like they were being torched I just it just made my blood run cold yeah um, also you know just in the environment I had been in, I was, um, if if I spent too much time with families, it was a bad thing. Um, yeah. Whilst in my, as an independent, you know, if they wanted you to stay, if they wanted you to have dinner, if they offered you another cup of tea, that meant things were going well, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, such, a, such a comparison, a huge comparison. Mm. And what would you say, so... Uh, to people who are looking into having private or independent midwives because as we know with uh, COVID and the way things have been this year many women are opting to birth at home which is wonderful Um, but also some women are still in the NHS and really suffering with the constraints being put upon them by the NHS and it's something I'm experiencing firsthand as a doula Um, and so and it's you know something we feel very I can say we because I know we're in the same mindset that it's there's a lot of difficulties for women birthing right now with the NHS, even at home. And things that are unacceptable are happening that we've discussed. And so for women looking at having a private or an independent midwife, what would you um, give them, tell them as a brief outline of what that experience is like in comparison to NHS care? Yeah. And I just want to say as well, it's just come up in me as well, that I get a lot of, um, I get a lot of, private messages from NHS midwives, particularly home birth midwives, mm-hmm. uh, in hell right now um, because they want to provide right. excellent care. Mm. And, you know, it, it was bad before um, this situation um, mm. with SARS-CoV-2. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's just like 10 times worse now. <laughs> so, so, you know, oh, the the constraints that are on them are unbelievable. And so many of them think about practicing the way I had an opportunity to practice. And um, mm-hmm. so Jeff just needed to say that because it was at the forefront yes. of my mind. But um, so parents, ultimately um, parents are suffering the most. And we, uh, as independent midwives, 
at the very moment, you know, we saw this whole situation developing um, earlier this year, we our, our hearts went out to everyone and we said, um, I, I have to say personally, I didn't make the offer from a personal perspective to the NHS because I, I had a... I had an internal heads up about what their response would be. Right. But some of my colleagues with, you know, vulnerable, made themselves vulnerable and offered their services yeah. to the NHS. And many, most are still waiting today for an answer um, to come back wow. to, to receive their help. You know, it's like mm. ignored, brushed aside, not important. Mm. Um, some, uh, People with power in the NHS, um, maternity services, have we've heard by the by that they feel that we're maverick, we won't do as we're told, we won't follow their protocol. Um, my response to that was, well, the protocols need looking at. You know, they're not often evidence-based, so we can't follow them. <laughs> otherwise, yeah, yeah. otherwise we're not follow, otherwise we're not obeying our nursing and periphery codes. <laughs> yeah, and um, evidence-based care. I think this is a really important subject to touch on is the way, you know, the the way that independent private midwives have been treated and have now, especially just over the last few years, have been vilified. So it's important that we discuss that a little bit for anyone listening who, you know, doesn't know so much about this and, you know, doesn't know too much about independent midwives because it's something really, it's something that's happening and they're being, as you know, they're being driven out. Yeah, well, 2020 for sure. You know, I thought lots of times about not no longer being on the register, retiring from the register, and and because of what you're talking about, the way independent midwives have been treated, they're much more likely to be um, up before the NMC disciplinary action. Our colleagues in the NHS. have been responsible for making a lot of those reports, um, misunderstanding our role, mm. trying to make us be doulas when we're in the NHS setting and we're not, we're still on the yeah. register. And if we see poor practice, we have to, we have to report it or assist the mm. woman to not receive that. Or we are breaking our own, um, registration promises you know we we have to uphold best practice um so you know we, that there's a there's a midwife called martina in australia who's independent and mm-hmm. she uh, some of you may know this case um she was looking after a woman who had a surprise twin mm-hmm. and um and the woman had chosen not to have scans which is her right to do martina had supported that right and is a skillful birth keeper. So when the second twin came, there's no biggie. Nice that there was two people, <laughs> two new people. That's big. But <laughs> it didn't challenge her skills because she was mm-hmm. a skillful midwife. Yeah. And um, and she quite rightly said, well, we weren't expecting these two. Um, so shall we just take them in um, to the neonatologist for a check over and come back? Parents agreed. Um, they took them in. Um, the the her colleagues in the hospital decided to report her for 
for supporting <laughs> the woman to have what she wanted. It's, yeah. it's incredible. Yeah. And Martina, I, so that's what, that's what really inspired me. I hope she can hear this one day. Mm. Um, she said, nah, not doing your dance, not playing your game. I, I'm, de- I'm deregistering. Right. And I totally said yes, power to her. Yeah. Don't yeah. bother, it's a waste of time. Mm. You know, I, mm. I, I've always thought, you know, if, say, I should ever come up before the NMC, I thought, am I going to do this dance? I really don't think so. Mm-hmm. And independents end up there for the most ridiculous reasons. And I yeah. can think of so many of my colleagues that have had to fight for years to be able to practice, like Becky Reed, Catherine Weymouth, Andy Parker, you know, all of these amazing, like the best that we have to offer, getting cut down, you know, and they did fight and they did, you know, um, maintain their place in the register, but like Becky, um, deregistered in the end anyway, because you just mm. have to ask yourself, you know, if this Nursing and Midwifery Council is really for gold standard care, They'd be upholding the role of the independent midwife. They'd be supporting yeah. us. Yes. And there's never that all they've done is hunt us. The most the most attention I've got from the nursing and midwifery council ever, other than asking me for my fee every year, is this year when the insurers left the market because we we voted to Brexit in 2016 and then we voted Boris Johnson in the head Brexiteer um, last year. They said, oh, bye, <laughs> left the market. So our insurance went with them and mm-hmm. um, we thought we had an alternative and they quoted us 7,500 premium per birth, per birth. Whilst, you know, maybe a handful of our clients could afford that. Of course, you know, most not. of our client base, why would they? Why would they mm. throw money at insurers? It's just a money-making game. Yeah, you much know, rather give the money to the midwives. You have a claim, you know, so so it'd just be a profit thing for them. So, of course, we we couldn't accept those terms. And so we had no intrapartment care insurance from the 1st of July. And I would have thought then... The Nursing and Midwifery Council will stand up and say, we don't want to deplete any further the bank of excellent midwifery. We've got loads of people leaving in droves because of stress. The WELM study that we had last year about midwives that they're going through, um, you know, they didn't stand up for us at all. They just started to hunt us. People, they'd go online. Seriously, it was that cheap. They'd Google me find out who's associated with me and then ring them and ask them, was I at their birth? Was I insured? No, I did not know that was happening. I know. It's called canvassing. It's illegal. <laughs> so, yeah. so again, you know, I could have wasted my time um, pursuing them, challenging them. But you know what? I thought, I, you know, when I was brought to this planet as a birth keeper, you know, it's not with their permission. Yeah. I'm a birth keeper, okay? So mm-hmm. I'm going to carry on being in births. I'm going to carry on being at births. And I'm going to carry on holding the space the way I do. They've ring-fenced, or whatever the word is, some aspects of midwifery, like vagina examinations. Don't do them anyway. You can keep <laughs> it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I don't need to throw it around as someone's cervix to understand the progress of birth. Thank goodness, I'm more skilled than that. Yeah, absolutely, so, absolutely. So and I, you know, I, I don't have, I don't do membrane suits. Never done one, so I don't need access to a woman's vagina. You can keep it. Mm-hmm. So I, I, there's just so much about um, independent midwifery that honors the woman that respects mm. the family, that keeps the partner in the centre, that, that such about independent midwifery that facilitates you catch your own child, you catch your child, yeah. or the partner, if, if the baby's coming out behind the, the person giving birth, then the partner will catch the baby, return the baby to the birther. There's so much mm. about independent midwifery that embodies that that yeah. does the waiting, the waiting, mm. the waiting, that believes in your ability to birth first rather than finding all the reasons you can't. Like, oh, your BMI's high, you're too tall, you're too short, baby's too small, baby's too big, don't like your diet. You know, there's so many reasons why the, the maternity studies we have at the moment discount the reasons why you can give birth. Too many scars on your uterus. Oh, well, actually, you guys put them there when you suggested that I have an induction. You know, it's 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 obvious to me that independent midwifery and those one those midwives in the NHS that uphold loving woman-centered care are not the kind of midwives that nursing and midwifery council want to really represent. They just want to represent the employed midwives, the automatons, the medwives, the yeah. ones that do business as usual, follow the protocols, be a good girl. You know, I've never been a good girl and it's, and I'm glad. I feel really yeah. happy about that. Yeah. I've sometimes tried to be a good girl. I've never pulled it off. <laughs> and, you know, I think birth in the UK has is, has become so much more medicalised and continues to. It's It's just going on the same route as the US. You have some of the worst um, maternal death rates in the whole world. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was a fight for me and everything you say about the, you know, and it, I, ha- I hate and I know you hate to put it like NHS midwives, independent midwives, and they're in two categories and, you know, they're not together. But the fact is, if you go through the system and you agree to everything that's recommended to you, unless you're really, really lucky as a pregnant and birthing person, there's something that could go wrong or there's something that can happen. And for me, that was my experience having gone through it. And then with my third, I decided to get educated. And this is the thing. A lot of women will have one or two babies and they'll have bad experiences before they start to realize and start to read and start to access information to take back you know, their control and take back their rights. And it's, you know, it's a huge issue in today's birthing culture, I think. And what would you say to women, you know, to pregnant women who are going through the NHS system would be some of your, you know, words of wisdom and things that you might recommend or or are yeah. asking to look into? Because we forgot to mention that you are an incredible um, Catherine Graves, KG hypnobirthing practitioner as well. Um, And you've been working with Catherine one-on-one for a number of years as well. Yes, yes. And um, what what I would say for sure is inform yourself. Um, 
place yourself in the center. You are this amazing body and person given over to bringing forth another person. There's nothing like it. It's incredible. It looks like a miracle, but it's not. It's just how magnificent you are. Mm. Even women sometimes discount themselves. Women and birthing people say, oh, I had assistance um, to become pregnant, so it doesn't count. Oh, my goodness. Like, the reasons why you had assistance are numerous. You know, we're finding out more that acupuncturists, um, homeopaths, and our fertility specialists, you know, there can be tiny mm. reasons why you need mm. this. Could be lack of opportunity, exhaustion, mm. stress. You know, it, it, there's so many reasons why you may have needed that assistance to become mm. pregnant. But mm. you stay pregnant. You grow your baby. You know, all those cells that decide to become an eye, a nose, an eyelash, a toenail, a foot. You know, all of that is happening inside of you. And then your body switches from holding a child in to letting a child go. Mm. That's all you. Mm. And if, you know, you're accessing care through the maternity services, I, I repeat, there are women-centered birth keepers within the National Health Service. It's just that it's a bit of victory to find them. And also they're not well supported in there by this huge machine mm. called the NHS. Mm-hmm. So it can be very difficult to stay that way there. And especially you're in the institution, you can become institutionalized, but they're in there. So mm-hmm. it's it's literally, if anyone shows up in your space that isn't honoring you, isn't respecting you, doesn't trust you, doesn't believe you in you, doesn't respect what you're asking for, you need to you need to ask for somebody new, ask for somebody different, draw back your chair. Do not feel like you have to receive what you're being given because you've paid for it. Just because mm. you're not getting out your card at the point of receiving the care doesn't mean that you haven't paid for it. We're all paying Absolutely. for it. Okay. Yeah. It's the service. And not one of them's in there as a volunteer. They're all mm. getting paid. Yeah. Mm. This is, this is their job. They're, they're paid to provide a service. Not one of them is there for free. So, Please, if they're not giving you the service that you expect, please, please don't accept it. Either they leave the room or you leave the room. But do not accept it and find somebody that resonates with you, that respects you, please. Mm. That's that's the number one thing, I think. Um, Of course, you can do, like, we have people that learn learn hypnobirthing and they're amazing. They become powerhouses their choices start to shift, et cetera. Mm-hmm. The partners, if they're present for the course as well, and if they engage with it, they shift as well. Mm-hmm. But on the day, something happens to them. They start, they, well, their vulnerability comes out. For women, I understand, it's the tendon befriend, oxytocin. It mm-hmm. raises and raises and raises throughout pregnancy. And at the point of giving birth, they're like, will you help me? How about you? Will you help me? You know, the vulnerability again. Um, they're, they're, they're looking for who will help them and they'll accept any old rubbish, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So, so I understand, but we've got partners also that, that accept what they ordinarily wouldn't accept. If they'd had someone coming to do their plumbing or electrics or something, they wouldn't accept nonsense. But when their new being is coming to the planet, 
it just accepts rudeness and disrespect and you Absolutely. know oh, oh it's it's so so even if you learn kg hypnobirthing it still doesn't guarantee that on the day you won't just accept poor care so true and it's it's also was something that took me a while to realize as well and i, and I know it's the case for lots of women's they don't realize that they can say no yeah. and they don't realize that they have a choice yeah and that is intrinsically you know that was a huge thing for me and it comes into you know human rights and childbirth as soon as I realized I could say no to everything that was offered to me yeah. and that everything was my choice it was a it was a massive shift for me and when I speak to women and they say um I've got I'll have my 28-week appointment and then the consultant will tell me if I'm allowed to yeah. have a VBAC it makes yeah. my blood boil yeah because I love women I love people and birthing people and if you don't realize this it's it I just want to you know to share with people it's just oh you can see I'm getting really worked up just thinking about it because it's a huge thing and being able to realize that you have that choice and you can say no is is powerful but it's not given to women from the beginning of pregnancy when they go into that system of care it's already taken away from you the minute that you go in and you have your first appointment with your midwife because the language they use and this is another thing we've talked about so many times the language used in childbirth in pregnancy is is all geared towards the system having control of the woman throughout her pregnancy and birth taking away her autonomy so that she will then go into whatever is recommended to her or told that she needs to do and 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 by women doing this and for me going in and handing over my will which I did for my first two births it took away something from me and it took away something for me as as a woman and mother yeah and as you know you know yes I, I couldn't live like that and so when I got pregnant with my third child I went on this huge journey to to get that power back and it was really really tough yeah it is tough and if you imagine you know just even thinking from your own perspective Hannah this all started from school this all started from disapproval about making your own choices from childhood um so we are being dismantled from way back then Mm. so it you know I used to pull my hair out about hearing the cascade of abuse that happens to women in pregnancy and childbirth. Then when I realized, well, no, but they've been primed for that. So (laughs) so, so we've we've created that. So um, the work starts from the moment we end up in our parents' arms. You know, we have to stop dismantling them and their will. And and then you might find more of us being able to hold our ground when we mm-hmm. become pregnant and we're carrying in another human, which makes us even more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it it starts in childhood. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like like just this is really this is I think this is where my passion actually mm-hmm. is. It, it is it is in from the get go, enabling those that will eventually be bringing forth another person that they'll be able to hold their ground in those moments and it's not just for the one giving birth it's their partners too that they will respect enough to hold the ground for their partners whilst they're away with the fairies you know on oxytocin high giving birth because 
what, what another thing that happens as well is like people will have plans for uh, their pregnancy and the birth process and completely omit to plan and protect the third stage of labor. Yeah. So, yeah. so, and so that's again where you hear people say, oh yeah, it was amazing. And then the third stage. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, there's been a book written by Nadine Edwards and Sarah Wickham that talk about it. And we've got to realize what happens at the beginning of labor that can affect the third stage. But, you know, who's in yeah. the room that can affect the third stage? You know, yeah. is a woman having to fight for herself mm-hmm. during the third stage? Mm-hmm. It's, it's all, it, everything that has, there's always knock on effects. So, you know, just you describing your experience with your first two births and how hard you had to fight for your third birth, mm-hmm. even being having a fighting stance has yeah. knock on yeah, absolutely. So, so those of us that are there at the gate, that are called to be at the gate, mm. we have to have that understanding and facilitate that relaxed, non-competitive, no stress mm. environment for the entire pregnancy, yeah. birth and beyond. Yeah. And then you find that childbirth um, and the period of infant nurture will be smoother for most women. Yeah, and there absolutely. Some women that have that journey. Some children come in with a journey to complete. So no matter what you do, there's going that's to be really true. Yeah, and yes, that's okay too. Yes, and I really think something I talk about a lot with my doula clients: knowledge really is power. And I talk about it a lot about how. You know, with the way that the world is today, with the way birthing culture is today, it's really important to be knowledgeable and educated about the physiology of birth and to get that information and to look up things that you're recommended and do your research so that you can make informed decisions. And I think that comes beautifully into um, hypnobirthing, especially with KG, because, you know, it's such a wonderful way of teaching the physiology to both partners. Yeah. and I, so we talk about that a lot. And then I really get to a point where I say, but I think then becomes a stage in your pregnancy where it's time to stop, to stop all the, all the reading, all the knowledge and all of that. You get to a point, you've got it, you know what you're doing, you've got your plan in place. But then there's also a time that needs to be about just coming into yourself as a woman yeah. and becoming vulnerable and open and ready to go into labor. Yeah. Because you can have all this knowledge and info, but there has to be a point where you can then start to come into that part of your brain, even before you go into labor. Yes. Mm. It's, it's, um, you know, there was a time, I think when we were taught that, you know, doctor knows best, you know, the midwife knows best and, 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 we kind of abdicate responsibility for knowledge of our own selves and how we work and how our bodies work and how choices, um, the, the, the cause and effect of choices. Mm. And, um, and that was popular. And so we think, yeah, we don't need to know about childbirth. We don't need to know how our bodies work, but mm. actually I'm, I'm coming full circle and agreeing that, act, that I think it is necessary for parents to want to know what's happening in their body at first I'm saying why should you have to be a midwife yeah why should you have to have the same knowledge as a midwife the same knowledge as your doctor 
um, for childbirth. And I was kind mm-hmm. of pushing back against that, saying, just relax and flow. Because ultimately, like you said, there's a part where you're just going to have to relax and flow. Mm-hmm. But I think with the current maternity services that we have, because the majority of it is meddling and yeah. disempowering, I think it's more or less essential for I us agree. to reclaim this knowledge about what we're mm. doing, what our bodies are doing, and mm. um, you know the whys and wherefores of our bodies as we grow and birth children. I think I think it's absolutely essential with the current maternity services that we have. Yeah, I as agree with evolve, you. I think we can just go back into innate knowledge again mm. and not have to study so much. Definitely, because there's definitely a sadness there in, in, you know, that women do have to become experts in a sense because of the culture today. Yeah. It would be wonderful if we could just literally be in that, in that state from the beginning. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much, there's so much, you know, about our current situation that is a silver lining. You know, um, there are many people um, free birthing Mm -hmm. at the moment. Um, there have always been people that are free birthing. Brilliant. Yeah. There are some people that are forced into it now because of the lack of appropriate birth care available. Mm. And would would you say that is not necessarily optimal? It depends on how you approach it. There are are people that have had like 10 children, free birthed all of them, knew that that was the way it was going to go right from the beginning. I read an amazing story where no matter what she put in place, she ended up giving birth on her own, which was amazing. (laughs) Nobody didn't quite get there on time. Midwives chose not to show up, you know, that kind of stuff. And when I say midwives chose not to show up, I mean, that's the the crux of it. But, you know, the, the pressure on midwifery, is immense you know they're not yeah. being supported to, yeah. to to keep their promise to the nursing and midwifery council even of, of yes. being the woman calls they're not being yeah. supported to do that so mm. so i totally understand that there are very complex reasons why women are being mm. abandoned during this time but they're being abandoned this so, is the point this is when and with things that you've been sharing on social media it's it's really really tough because there are incredible midwives within the NHS who yeah. want to practice that in you know that way, yeah. but there are also all these other terrible things happening. And if nobody will talk about the terrible things that are happening because they don't want to upset the incredible midwives, yeah. nothing will get aired and no truth yeah. will be told, and these women will continue to be harmed. So right. we have to be the people that speak out. That's right. Despite it upsetting people. It does upset people. I get some private messages. It's it's reducing now, actually, because <laughs> so um, I've, I've said it a few times. I do get yeah. private messages um, it, trying to pressure me to stop talking. And, um, you know, I've got colleagues like Sam Gadsden who mm-hmm. they said to me, Paige, is, yeah. it, it feels like boiling oil sometimes. It's yeah. so painful to yeah. read. Um, but she just endures the pain because she's getting all the stories and then having yeah. to put them out online really to imagine how that must yeah, feel. Especially the doula. Um, yeah. So, but it has to come out. And, you know, that's why the, the hashtag, I use that sometimes, not all midwives, because, um, you know, it's, po- it's, it's pointless saying, but I didn't do that. Oh, well, I wouldn't do that. It's absolutely pointless. If yeah. it's happened to one woman, it's happened to us all. 
Yeah. yeah, we're all connected. So, so yeah, the horrific things that people are going through in this country, which claims to be civilized, mm-hmm. um, it, it beggars belief. And I feel that it's a silver lining. I'm I, acknowledging the huge pain and mm-hmm. potential years of healing that are happening for each of these families that have suffered. Um, it's also it's also coming out. It's out. It's, it's no longer hidden, mm. and and that's that's the only time you can heal something if it's if it's out. Once it stays in the shadows, whilst it's buried, you can't heal it. It's got to come so out. It's the a, same with anything, isn't it? Any yeah. healing, you've got to, it's got to come up, and you have to go through it. Yeah, you have to go through the pain and the shame and the anger, yeah. and it's the same with this. And that's why we need people like you to just keep being your incredible self. And speaking yeah. out, and yeah, it's, it's just oh, I just love talking to you, and I'm you know we always have so much to say around all of these subjects. Mm-hmm. We do, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really impressed that we haven't cried yet as well. Oh, are we good? <laughs> there may have been a few moments where I could. <laughs> yeah, um, this time so, God, you would have been falling, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm getting a strong, strident voice for a reason. Mm. Yeah, it's the um, time for crying. I, I, I cry, but not during this podcast. <laughs> Just secretly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and lastly, I would love to touch on um, the disparities for Black and Brown women in the birthing culture today. This is yeah. obviously a huge subject and obviously as a black yeah. midwife in the UK, um, yeah. I would love to just hear your experience and your and your thoughts on this currently as well, yeah. especially with everything this year with Black Lives Matter. I think it's yeah. a subject that's very prevalent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this has always been the case. There's always been the disparity. It's yeah. always been there in the figures. Um, and... You, you know, I, I I I do giggle a lot now because when they found out that there was a disparity between black and brown people with the COVID nineteen, I guess I just said, yeah, of course. <laughs> like, yeah, you're, everyone's really shocked and surprised. Yeah. There's always a disparity in all aspects of healthcare, mm-hmm. and it's all about institutionalized racism. It's it's that's what it's about, and. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's going to show up everywhere. So it's not that this is an unusual thing. We yeah. expect it. We we live with it. Um, some people deny it, but it's there and it continues. And it also um, shows up in what can be achieved by black and brown people in the health services. Mm-hmm. So you'll see a disparity, you know, between who gets grants for research, hmm. who is running the show, you know, so, 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 you know, for a fact that black and brown people can't get as high as white people in maternity services or in health services generally, you're going to then perpetuate the disparity in health outcomes for black mm. and brown women mm. or for black and brown people. So, we we've all talked around it talked around it talked around it again it's really good that it's all become apparent and clear Mm. it's kind of good that more people now rolling their eyes and saying of course because Mm. now that means that we can do stuff about it 
when we're doing the whole shock thing, it's not helpful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We now we now need to move forward, accept it, put in the work. It, and change it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so it, it it's gonna be a long walk. We've got mm-hmm. amazing people like Nova Reed, got mm-hmm. our beautiful Mars Lord, mm-hmm. we've got loads of people, Christina Ketchy, Obs and Gyney. We've got loads of amazing mm-hmm. people that are out there talking about this. Yeah. But, uh, black. Yeah. And Manash Nas, amazing. I love Manash. Mm. And off of the country, a brown woman making these things apparent and clear and making strides towards making a difference. Mm. So I'm actually excited. I'm still very hurt that, you know, whilst we're talking about it, reading from it, etc., and kind of, you know, being distracted with this whole COVID thing. That we're not making the progress that we should be making. Now we've had the perinatal mortality surveillance report come out from Embrace, which also shows that black and brown babies are twice as likely to die (laughs) neonatally than white ones. So there's the, the, you know, whilst we're sitting there, you know, taking our time to come to terms with this, what can we do about it? Yeah. You know, People are still dying unnecessarily. Yeah, absolutely. It's, 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 it goes with our acceptance of, you know, when when there's some when there's people, you know, who running for prime minister or running for president, the way we quietly accept that we're going to see two dusty old white men doing it. Why? Why are we happy with that? Why are we happy with yeah. that being the representation? When we think leader, we think dusty old white man. Why? Mm-hmm. Why? Yeah. So yeah. with that in mind, I just think that we've got to stop seeing um, having a picture of success as being um, white people, mm-hmm. white ideas, you know, that that anything black or brown or by a black or brown person is niche, cool. Yes. You know, we, we need I... to stop putting people in these camps. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to stop thinking that knowledge can only because if knowledge, if, if the only acceptable knowledge is a randomized controlled trial, but the only people getting grants are white people from a certain background, then our knowledge base is also biased and racist. So true. So, so, so true. You know, if mm. if whenever we do a study, the only people that are recruited are white people, the majority of white people or from the middle classes or mm. black people aren't approached or is or the or the information about the study isn't in different languages. Mm. Again, we've got an inherent bias in the Absolutely result. Right. <coughs> oh, excuse me. It's all right. <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's just, you know, that's what I'm talking about, systemic racism, mm. institutionalized mm. racism. Mm. It feeds through into all sorts of areas. It does. And would you, what would be your, would you have any advice to people out there, people like me, white women, white birth workers coming from white privilege? What can we do? I've been trying to educate myself in a quiet way, yeah. um, especially this year. Um, do you know I love that? Do you know I love that? That's true indeed. In a quiet way. You're just going about it. You're just going about your yeah. work. I, I want to, I want to yeah. do the work. And what yeah. what would you? You're not flashy about it. 
You know, I don't need to show people that I'm doing some music, like no, some kind of medal. Exactly. No, no, no. It's just something that needs to be done from yeah. a quiet place so that I can speak from a place of knowledge yeah. and be able to share on these subjects. Is there anything specific you might recommend to, to people who also want to do this? Yeah, I, w- I would just keep, I, for a start, the Instagram accounts of the people I mentioned earlier, Mars yeah. Lord, Nova Reed, there's yeah. others, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure people will hopefully respond to this podcast with other sources. Mm. You know, mm. Please do share. Mm. Please keep an eye on their accounts um, yeah. because they're always sharing knowledge. Um, they're, 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 they're always a wake-up call. Is that, you know, there's, I'm a, I'm a novice at this as well because I have privilege I was born here, bred here, um, went to a really good school, um, mm-hmm. you know, went to university, you know, I, 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 you know, I had my ears folded into quarters and covered too, you know, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm, I'm learning too. We're mm-hmm. doing the same mm-hmm. thing at the same time, quietly learning. Mm-hmm. Um, people ask for my voice, but I'm usually quick to say, actually, that I'm no expert. The experts are you know mm-hmm. um, so I, I would keep an eye on their accounts if they recommend reading do it Nova Reed's got the course do it um Abrela doulas um they have courses culturally mm-hmm. sensitive cultural sensitivity courses amazing um, look at those you know mm-hmm. there's an amazing amount of work going mm-hmm. with Abrela right now and how they're growing so great um, great with, um Oh, the, the biggest thing, you know, listening. So um, especially as those of us that work in healthcare, um, you see, maternity care is actually supposed to be different. It's a shame that it's been put in this medical basket because it denies yeah. um, those accessing maternity care so many benefits that, that go with being pregnant mm. but don't necessarily match medical care that they're getting denied because they're accessing yeah. the maternity care within the medical care model. Yes. Yeah. So 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 that really, you know, impacts black and brown women hugely. Mm. Um because there's things about that there's things culturally that might be required. It's like when I attended a birth um fairly recently, the parents, um one of them was brown and wanted something to happen at yeah. the point of birth for the baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which Thankfully, because, you know, the way I've been raised as a birth keeper, it's like I got to share in and, and totally goosebumps by and, you know. But often that kind of thing is dismissed. Yeah. Then that family, the power in that family is reduced because mm-hmm. it's been dismissed. Mm-hmm. So all of us that work around families that are doing the work with regard to our privilege and, and, and how to heal these health disparities, I think the primary thing is listening, mm. is, is listening and not dismissing. Listening, just listening, because, not dismissing. Because we don't understand. It's not Powerful. our problem. It's not mm. our problem whether we understand or not. Yeah. 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 Just bloody do it. Just mm. listen. Do whatever's being asked. Yeah. You know, it's not for us to judge. Yeah. It's enough to just. they're asking us along it's a privileged room we're invited into their spaces Mm -hmm. you know we're being asked to come along and we can Mm -hmm. learn from it Mm -hmm. that's so powerful all of that that you just said and listening not dismissing that's that is so powerful yeah thank you for sharing 
my love. Yeah, thank you. And please tell us about your new project because I know before we go, I know you've got a new project that you're working on that I'm pretty excited about. Are we sharing about this? (laughs) So um, I just I just want to catch up before we go. Um, So independent midwives at the moment are dying out um, because they're they, no one's really facilitating them having intrapartment care insurance. Mm. We've got some amazing energy coming now, though, to try and solve this situation. But in the meantime, you know, houses are lost, cars are lost. Um, and, you know, the, the amazing midwives that are walking away from maternity care yeah. are a huge loss to families because mm. they take mm. them their experience, their Definitely. knowledge, their art, um, their innate sense about what is right and wrong around childbirth so we are losing a huge amount of talent right now mm. from independent midwifery as well yeah. as the woman-centered midwives within the nhs so there's this we are hemorrhaging excellent birth care at the moment mm. so i'm involved in two things um one is childbirth choices matter which is um uh, together with the White Ribbon Alliance, are raising funds for women, um, families, rather, to be able to access gold standard birth care in mm-hmm. the form of IMs. Birth oh, amazing. Whatever they choose, whatever mm-hmm. they choose. Mm-hmm. So we've got an access fund for them, but we've mm-hmm. also got primarily, they're trying to raise a pot to back up our own insurance product that we yes. already have. So yes. we need a pot that can be drawn from in the event of a claim. Yeah. Um, and so that's what we're doing at the moment. So that's what Child Birth Choices Matter is doing. Amazing. Really important to me that we are able to get through this quickly because mm-hmm. at the moment, every week, midwifery skill is being lost. Yes. The, the pot is depleting. They're going elsewhere, you know. Um, yeah. I, I'm leaving the country to catch my grandchild in Dar es Salaam in, in, um, April and May. But then mm. I, at the moment, I've got no plan to come back because, yeah. you know, I, which is a huge loss to the, to women here in the UK. Cause you are one of these, you know, you are one of these midwives and I've worked with you as well as having you as my midwife. We've worked together on a number of births and the way yeah. that you practice is is becoming a rarity in in care and it's something that is so unbelievably important so yeah it's it's so important for the new people coming to the planet they really need skilled intelligent Mm. compassionate care Mm. Mm. and it's 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 too important so you know i'm I'm going to carry on obviously wherever i'm accepted my hands will be there to receive Mm. children Mm-hmm. Um, but also I'm staying involved in passing on the knowledge mm-hmm. and, and encouraging those of you that are also called to the bathroom. Yeah, so, so, which is so a powerful I, thing. I will, I'm, I'm staying active. Yes. But, you know, in this country, you know, um, the Nursing and Midwifery Council have said that you can't call yourself a midwife unless you're on their register. So mm-hmm. I'm now a former midwife or a retired midwife instead mm-hmm. of and I will still mm. be in verbs here, but mm. just, it, it will be different. Absolutely. Yes. 
but but yeah, I'm going to be going elsewhere and seeing um, who needs me, etc. So childbirth choices matter, and also mm-hmm. um, something that I'm doing with Carmel Gentle, who's another amazing independent midwife who who uh, majors now in tongue tie division, but she doesn't always mm-hmm. divide. She now does massage okay. and encourages oh, people to mm-hmm. free up the frenulum rather yes, than having to cut it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. An infant feeding specialist. Amazing. Specialist. <laughs> so we're setting, we're setting up something together, um, a mighty network called um, Birth Joy Breastfeeding and Beyond Doc Club. Love so, it. There, yeah. So if you if you go there, you'll find our offering there. So we've set that up there, and it's wonderful. Up for it's like a one stop shop for everything about pregnancy, birth, and breastfeeding, and beyond. I'm really excited to see that and how it grows. I think it's going to be incredibly popular, not just from the standpoint of it's going to be a place where all birth language, images, everything is accepted and not effing censored. That's right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when I saw it, what you were doing, I was, you know, this, we've been crying out for this for a long time. You know, we really have. And as a birth photographer, you know, being able, not being able to share. Oh my gosh. Hannah, I, I didn't mention yeah. that there's going to be a whole Hannah section in there. <laughs> I didn't mention that. Maybe but, blush. Boy, yeah, we have so much. So much. <laughs> Oh, and please, can you tell people where they can also find you? What's your Instagram, your main website? Right. So my Instagram, which I have to say has been shadow banned for the last six oh. months, is Kemi Birthjoy Johnson. Mm-hmm. My Twitter is at Birthjoy Kemi. So I'm just getting rid of right. my Twitter now. Oh. <laughs> yeah. My, I'm not my with Facebook her. page which also is being haunted, so I can't post mm-hmm. anything there. Because, um, as you know, when I, I, I used to just, it was just like wall-to-wall vaginas, wasn't yeah, it? Love it. <laughs> so, like, amazing. Um, but, you know, got so many threats there. So I've just, it's, but we're, it's all going to be live <laughs> on yeah. our Mighty Network. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, so on Facebook, I'm Kemi Johnson. Mm-hmm. And I'm now with someone, one of my, the mums, I've been with her for two babies, is giving me a website. So oh, it will, I oh, know that's so amazing. she's setting up the birth key for Kemi. Beautiful. So, um, yeah, which is mm. going to be amazing. So, Wonderful. So that will so be online in a few weeks or months. Mm. And before we wrap up, a question that I always ask um, people on this podcast is, what does vulnerability mean to you? Vulnerability. So... When thinking about what I bring to the table in, in all my interactions now, I used to hide some of myself in interaction. Mm. It's a completely open-hearted softness, soft parts, soft parts. I'm no longer the person trying to hide bits. Mm. Yeah, so mm. vulnerability to me means open, soft, tender, compassionate. And... The importance of having that in all our interactions, but in t- particularly in the birth relationship or the birth keeper relationship, mm. is that I cannot expect to be anything other than that if I'm promoting the space and safety 
for the person giving birth and their partner to also become vulnerable, to open their soft hearts, Mm. to open their hearts, um, to receive whatever is in their experience for them. So vulnerability for me Mm. means open, soft. That's beautiful. That's really beautiful. Thank you so much. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on here today, my beautiful, wonderful friend. Uh, we've been wanting to do this for a while, so thank you so much. I love you. <laughs> I love you. I love and you. I thought we'd just spend the whole time just playing kisses to each other. <laughs> yeah, we managed to have a real conversation. Yeah. We did. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. You can find the visual side of the project on Instagram at my underscore vulnerable voice. If you would like to share your story and get involved, please get in touch. Myvulnerablevoice at gmail.com. You can find more of my personal work at www.hannapalamara.com and on Instagram at hannapalamarahonestlyfeminine. And please, wherever you are listening to this podcast, always subscribe, review and share. Thank you.